Good morning. Uh, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and this is Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is November the 5th, and we are still finding ourselves studying through the book of Acts, though we're rapidly coming to an end. Uh, last time we were together, let's take a look over here. Uh, last time we were together, ooh, that doesn't tell me. Here we go. Uh, was on 11 3, um, election day. I apologize for not uh, coming back the next morning, but <laughs> I don't know what you were doing, but I was sitting up until 2 o'clock uh, watching the uh, election results roll in. And I knew in my heart of hearts when voting stopped in those states, the shenanigans were going to begin. So. That's what we're dealing with. So, uh, anyway, I hope you guys are doing well today. Uh, I see my two buddies there, man. I hope you guys are doing well. God bless you. Um, the uh, Let me see here. Uh, last time we were together, let me just adjust this camera just a little bit. Last time we were together, um, we looked at chapter 27, 1 through, 1 through 17. Chapter 27, 1 through 17. And, of course... This is Paul finally going where God wanted him to go. This is what he wanted the whole time was to get to Rome. And um, so finally they determined to set sail to Italy. Bear in mind that uh, Paul was still under house arrest, but he hardly he was hardly a flight risk uh, because, I don't know, they really never dis determined what they were going to charge him with. <laughs> I mean, everything the Jews were accusing him of, the Romans didn't care about. And they never did prove or, I mean, we don't see anything that a letter was written. I assume that Agrippa penned something or Festus something for him to stand before Caesar. But, um, you know, Felix, Festus, Agrippa all agreed that Paul had done nothing uh, worthy of, of uh, being arrested, but he had appealed to Caesar. So don't quite understand that other than the fact that God, was going to use Rome to get Paul where he wanted him to go. So Paul boards his ship, and he starts heading out. And um, I, Chapter 27 has a whole bunch of nautical terms, which I found to be uh, pretty interesting. Um, uh, of course, it's written by Luke, and of course, Luke was uh, very detailed in his writings. You know that his gospel is the largest of all the gospels. Uh, he paid attention to detail. Uh, we know that uh, Luke was a physician. Um, uh, the Bible tells us over in Colossians um, that Luke was a physician. Uh, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And actually, in some uh, writings, uh, Luke and Acts literally almost make up one book, part one, part two. Um, so... Luke is uh, paying attention to detail. He's on the ship. Uh, he's writing, and the ship begins to go through a typhoon, or a, what they called a Euroclidon, which was which we call today a northeaster. Uh, and the ship was uh, in a lot of trouble. And uh, verse number fifteen says that they they let it drive. There's your uh, there's your source for Jesus. Take the wheel right there. Uh, they let it drive. In other words, there was nothing they could do. They couldn't fight the winds. Um, they just let go of the wheel and they let her spin. 
Um, and of course they, um, you know, the, the storm continued to last. Uh, and then we pick up in verse number 18 and we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, uh, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands, the tackling of the ship. Um, so again, Luke's attention to detail, everything that's going on to lighten the ship means they begin to throw things overboard, such as the cargo. And there's no doubt there must have been a fear of loss of life or they would have never done that. Um, and, um, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, that means the storm was just so bad they couldn't see anything. Um, so, uh, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope we should be saved was then taken away. So as a result, they lost all hope of surviving the ordeal. Um, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to see how Paul was responding to all of this. Uh, because God, after all, told him he was going to get him to Rome. So, so I think Paul at this point might have been thinking to himself, uh, I thought we had a deal here, Lord. <laughs> um, I have no idea how Paul felt. Um, I can tell you from personal experience, though, there's something that happens to you when you know that you are in the will of God. There is just a supernatural empowerment, if you will. Uh, it's almost a fearlessness. It's not stupidity. Um, I mean, God gave us common sense. Uh, but there is a sense of immortality in some ways. And I can say this because, you know, having traveled... Uh, especially uh, in Latin America. I mean, I've driven from Texas all the way down to uh, Guatemala a couple times and from Guatemala to Nicaragua. Uh, I've been in situations where I guess I should have feared for my life. Uh, I'm not saying I wasn't nervous, but I just, there was this, this peace of knowing that I was in the will of God and just a sense of knowing that I was immortal until God was through with me. And, and what better way to go than in the will of God? <laughs> I mean, it's a whole lot better than going out of the will of God. Um, I remember crossing borders between Nicaragua and Honduras uh, where, you know, soldiers stepped out of the jungle in full uh, combat gear, camo, um, stopped me in the middle middle of the road, uh, um, AR-15s and uh, weapons pointed at my vehicle. And, you know, just me and my little wife sitting there uh, with my two children in the back seat, probably two and three years old at this time, um, and just stopping the vehicle, asking me where I'm going. Uh, uh, I, you know, and I don't know if they're going to take my car, if they're going to take my wife, if they're going to, you know, and I remember one time they just said, can we have a ride? <laughs> and there was like full, uh, 
fully armed combat soldiers here who wanted a ride in my little Toyota Tercel with my two sleeping babies in the back seat. Um, I told them my car was full. They said, well, we'll, we'll make it work. And uh, they opened the back door, saw my little drooling babies in the back and uh, told me, never mind, and let me go. So, um, you know, just I look back on that. I, I probably um, should have been scared to death, but I just remembered this confidence that God had called me to drive from Guatemala to Nicaragua to meet a mission team in Managua. And, um, you know, God's good. I mean, when you know you're in as well, uh, just like Paul here, I think it does leave you with a supernatural just confidence that you're doing what God told you to do. And again, those words, you're immortal until God is is through with you. And I, I've experienced the same thing uh, in Peru on several occasions uh, where I probably should have been afraid of life and limb, but uh, I just knew this is where God wanted me to be. So, And of course, I, there's no doubt in my mind that many, many a Christian has died in the will of God, uh, doing what God told them to do. So, um, but I, you know, I'd, I'd like to have seen how Paul was handling this at the time. And then notice in verse number 21, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and says, says, sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete. I told you so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the word abstinence there is referring to how long they had gone without food. Um, now, some have presumed, and you know, I, I think there are guys that love to just spiritualize the text. I, I don't have a lot of patience for people when they start spiritualizing the text, um, and they say this this was they were on the spiritual fast. You know, Paul was just uh, Paul was just seeking the Lord. Um, no, I think, uh, from experience, uh, when you're bouncing around inside of a ship and there's boot marks at eye level on the walls, um, you're not eating, um, <laughs> every, the hatches are buttoned down. Uh, everybody's in general quarters. Uh, I was on a ship one time in the Indian ocean. We were going from, uh, the Philippines to, um, Poop, uh, I forget what part of South Korea we were going to. Um, but, uh, you know, Navy ships do not break formation. And we were in a battle battle group. And, uh, of course, they always stick Marines on these little bitty uh, flat-bottom boats. Now, if you just think about that, the word flat-bottom and boat, that's kind of an oxymoron. Um, but... Because flat bottoms don't tend to do well in the water. Uh, but the reason they, they put Marines on these flat bottom boats is because they have to push up to the shore so there can't be a keel to drive into the soil. So there's these flat bottoms. So the back does have a little bit of keel in the rut or whatever. But the front uh, is, uh, and I say that, but it's the reverse. The back is flat bottom. And these boats turn around, and they just kind of shove themselves to the shore. And then the, the doors open, and these Amtraks, these amphibious vehicles, drop out the back. And, of course, little Marines are bobbing in the back of it. Um, so 
So there's nothing worse than being in a flat bottom boat uh, in the middle of a typhoon. Uh, I remember the first couple of days we were afraid we were going to die, and the last couple of days we were afraid we were not going to die. Uh, it was horrible. So tell, and so nobody was standing in the chow line seeking food here. Um, everything was buttoned down. Everybody was just, yeah. I, I can, I can, you can imagine just the seasickness and the the throwing up and and all this stuff that's going on at the time. So, so abstinence here just means they had went without food because of the storm. So I'm fairly confident that it had nothing to do with anything spiritual. And of course, Paul's compelled to say, "I told you so." <laughs> I told you you shouldn't have loosed uh, from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. In other words, if you'd listened to me, we wouldn't be doing this right now. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of man's life among you, but you're going to lose the ship. Why? For there stood by me this night an angel of God whose I am. And whom I serve. See, there's that confidence. Seeing, saying, fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So, so Paul says, um, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve has told me uh, that uh, we're going to be all right. And again, there's no, no way Paul could have known this without some kind of divine intervention uh, going on there. Now, many mid-Acts teachers, uh, and of course mid-Acts meaning they believe that the church started with the conversion of Paul. Paul was the first Christian. Um, Many mid-Acts teachers will say that the fact that the angel was speaking to Paul is proof that the time of the kingdom offer was still on the table. Now, of course, the assumption is that once the kingdom is off the table, all the marks of the kingdom, tongues, miracles, raising the dead, healing with handkerchiefs, angelic appearances, all of that ceases. Uh, Again, this is why the mid-Acts approach is not very palatable uh, to some folks who are locked into certain denominations. I have found especially those who are plugged into the more charismatic uh, denominations. They're the ones that tend to reject this um, this view of interpretation a lot more aggressively than those who are cessationists who do agree that the gifts all stopped at a certain point in the past. They kind of flow over into this mid-acts a whole lot easier uh, than those who are of the charismatic persuasion because you know it doesn't fit. You know it doesn't fit the filter. Um, so I'm beginning to see it that way too. And I'm not beginning. I, I think I do at this point see it that way. Uh, once the kingdom offer was off the table, everything that accompanied the kingdom um, ceased uh, in regards to signs and wonders and miracles that were sp- or that were supposed to uh, proceed to announce to to prove that the kingdom was there. That was the whole point. Jews demand a sign. Okay. Um, so again, uh, the, the mid-Acts approach is not very palatable to many, um, mainly charismatics and those of the covenant persuasion. Uh, they have a hard time with it as well because, uh, you know, 
uh, we're not under the new covenant according to the Mid-Acts interpretation. Uh, Of course, the message of the angel was, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So apparently, it was very important for Paul to take the message to Rome. Uh, I can't help but ask why. Why is God so determined to get Paul to Rome? Uh, um, Why was uh, God so determined to get Paul to Rome? Yep, you nailed that, uh, Scott. Just saying that Paul was the first Christian. Uh, uh, yeah, that that keys him off because you know we've we've developed this whole system around the birthday of the church in Acts chapter number two. Uh, so as soon as you say, that's all you got to say is, I don't believe the church was born in Acts chapter number two. Uh, well, how dare you? I mean, immediately they go off, and you know. Um, I mean, there is nothing in Acts chapter number two that says the church began here. Nothing at all. Uh, but yeah, they, they definitely get the knickers in a wad as soon as you say that, trust me. Um, sounds like my brother Scott has a little experience in that. <laughs> but anyway, back to my question. Why? Why is God so determined to get Paul to Rome? Now, Put your thinking caps on here. This is where I'm going to challenge you just a little bit, and I'm still trying to deal with it. But some would say that Paul had to fulfill the Great Commission. Paul had to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, you remember the Great Commission. Uh, To me, it's in two parts. Matthew 28, go you therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Anybody who teaches a grace gospel understands that we do not believe in in uh, baptismal regeneration, that baptism is necessary for salvation. Yet the Great Commission is going into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to do what? To do everything I commanded you. I mean, I mean clearly, um, what did the Lord command them? Well, the Lord had no words for the church because the Lord, there was no church, uh, not the church that you and I are a part of. There was the kingdom church, but there was not the body of Christ. So the Lord spoke no words to the body of Christ. He spoke all of his words to the kingdom church, to the Jew, um, which is interesting because I hear people say all the time, I am a, I am a red letter Christian. You know, well, what's that supposed to mean? Uh, you know, Jesus didn't say anything about the or, the the structure of the church. He he didn't say anything hardly that Paul taught. So if you're saying you're a red letter Christian, um, you know, I mean, you're placing yourself under the Old Testament. Um, also, the whole what would Jesus do? You know, the WWJD. You know, that used to be popular. Um, now it's probably what would Jesus have me get away with, but uh, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would probably respond totally differently uh, than we would under the body of Christ in many ways. I mean, certainly, I mean, he's the head of the church, make no mistake about that, but Jesus' earthly ministry was to Jews. It was to the nation of Israel. Um, Paul wasn't even a part of that ministry. Uh, so, 
Anyway, that's a great commandment. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And then in Acts 1.8, But ye shall see power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. And the uttermost parts was Rome. Uh, and that was the whole known world at that time. Uh, and Rome dominated it. So for them to go to, from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea unto the uttermost, uh, was a reference to Rome. So did God use Paul to fulfill this? Was the kingdom message taken to the uttermost as promised, and yet the, the nation still rejected it? Uh, did God use Paul to fulfill this? Acts 28, when we, when we hit the end of Acts, there's going to be this cliffhanger here. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hard house and received all that came unto him. Bear in mind, these are the last verses of the book, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. To me, that is a pretty strong statement that Paul was preaching both the kingdom gospel and the grace gospel. So that means he took the kingdom gospel to the uttermost. So, you know, some would say Paul fulfilled the Great Commission. And in, and in all fairness um, to God, <laughs> um, you know, the kingdom, kingdom was offered all the way from Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost. And guess what? It was categorically rejected. And next thing we know, uh, Paul is pinning the book of Romans in our in, in our New Testament. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, something to think about. Did Paul fulfill the Great Commission by taking the gospel of the kingdom? Uh, and again, the gospel of grace and the Great Commission, two different animals. Uh, so, but he appears to have taken the great uh, the gospel of the kingdom to to the uttermost. So, something to think about. Uh, good to see you guys. Feels good to be back. <laughs> Hope you're doing well. Hope you have a great day, man. Oh, man, pray for our nation. Um, it went off the rails when those states stopped counting on election night. Uh, that's when the shenanigans started. So uh, be praying for our nation. I, I don't think there's... Uh, yeah, we're just going to have to trust God. In the meantime, uh, we're going to study the Word together. So God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. Remember, he loves you, wants the best for you, and it's working all things out for your good.